Hello all you seekers, explorers and renegades out there. Welcome to another episode of the Alchemy Experience Podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Lemke. Today we're talking about the right action. And right action is not necessarily relating to whether it's right or wrong, but what you feel is the most right at any given time. So as you evolve more, you will find that you take actions that are right for that moment that may not have been right a uh, moment before so all of these uh, experiences and all of these uh, teachings and learnings that you do about yourself and the world around you or how you respond to the world around you will influence what you consider to be right action at any given moment but let's delve deeper into the subject and see what uh, everybody else has to say about it Joy. In the light in the uh, head, Roy T. Bennett says, stop doing what's easy, start doing what's right. And that's really what right action is about. It's not always taking the easy way, but doing what's uh, right. Uh, And now, of course, at different stages in life, what's right is going to be very different. So what's right today might not be right tomorrow. Now, uh, the, the concept of right action really comes from Buddhism, uh, where it, the, the, the Sanskrit uh, concept of it really translates into wise or ideal morality. And that then translates into English as a right action. Um, and right action is uh, one of the eight spokes on the uh, uh, Dharma wheel in uh, Buddhism. But I take it, I look at right action as what is my perspective of the experience I'm going into? What what is right for me at this very moment? So the Buddhist point of view is really what would I, what would be the right action in an enlightened state of being? and try to uh, do that uh, currently in your, uh, where you are currently. Because obviously if you do all the things that you would do when you're in an enlightened state, uh, then technically you would be enlightened, right? So it's a, it's a matter of practicing these uh, right actions to uh, embody all, all of the concepts. But from in our everyday life in this reality, I suppose we have to look at, okay, at any given time, what, what is right action? What is right for me today? And what was right for me two years ago? Because having that ability to reflect as well, allow us to learn from our own experiences and learn about ourselves, right? So I personally, I don't know if it's the translation or the way it's put out, but the concept of right action to me means that there's a polarity of a wrong action. And if we're looking at time continuums and the fact that everyone has a purpose and a reason to come here, then ultimately having this feeling like you're in a stream and you're constantly having to look for stones to be able to step on that are your right action and the wrong ones are the ones that are going to drop you into the water. It's still, I don't like, looking at things from a perspective of right right or wrong because personally that's where I think a lot of people get very very stuck because what is right to 
the masses or the status quo might not be right for somebody else. So finding your own individual decision as to what is right for you or what's wrong for you in the moment, it's, it's something of where I think that is a, a grappling that people think that by having societal rules it somehow keeps everybody safe, but the reality is it also keeps a lot of people very small. So that's my perception on the concept of right action. Okay, well, that's interesting. I, I hadn't thought about it in those terms because when I think of right action, I think of what is right for me at this very moment. Uh, I don't think of it as something uh, collectively. It's individual. It's not collective. So it's it's not right or wrong outside of me. It's more what, what is right for me at this very time, at this very moment. So that that's where it's neither right or wrong, but what, what is for my highest good and what, what is right in terms of that. From that perspective, you and I have done sessions many times with people in the sense of where from a perspective of, yes, there's the impermanence, but I think that the impermanence of a lot of things is in the luxury of when you're a solo person, when you're a solo practitioner or you're a solo person, you know, if you're 18 years old and backpacking across Europe or Nepal or whatever else, you know, absolutely you're footloose and fancy free. But then when people have responsibilities, they have obligations to their communities even in regards to when people get married and they have to decide with having to do the things with baptisms or how are they going to raise the children? All of a sudden things become very, very different for a lot of people. And so sometimes people have to capitulate that the right action isn't necessarily baptizing their baby in a particular religious doctrine, but that's what's best for the family unit. So maybe it's not for the individual, it's giving that up for the collective consciousness. So those are big, huge universal questions that we have to ask ourselves. Is it good for the the whole good for myself but then if you're part of the community where does the line of your individuality in the community then then lie well it still comes back to you as an individual what is right for you and sometimes we we do have to make that tough decision as uh, uh i quoted in the start in the beginning here that uh you know, if we feel so strongly, if you if we take your example here now, Barbie, if we feel so strongly about baptizing our child or not baptizing our child, then we have the right action is to stand up for that, uh, possibly. Uh, but if if it's if the uh, maintaining calm in the family unit is more important then that's the right action. So it's because, again, you know, we can't, as individuals, the only thing we can control is within us. We can't control what's external to us. So what's, what's right action for me today might not be the right, something that someone else considers the right action, right? When I refer to right action, it is really about the personal uh, choices. And of course, as as you bring elements and impermanent aspects into this experience, it becomes more complex and more complicated. So yes, sitting on a, on a mountaintop in the Himalayas, uh, meditating, the, the only thing you have to consider is yourself. There is nothing else, right? But you bring, as a householder, uh, I don't have that, we don't have that luxury, right? 
and that that's why the householder path is oftentimes uh, a lot more challenging <laughs> than the uh, sitting in a monastery um but yeah it is it really is from the the your own perspective considering all the aspects around you and looking into that's why i think right action is a little more complex than buddhism actually makes it out to be it, there is more to consider as you say barbie hi uh, christopher uh, so uh, i do agree you know uh, right action uh, somewhere it changes with person to person however i was having this uh, you know very uh, firm opinion around right and wrong uh, there is something like you know there is nothing right and there is nothing wrong and uh, there is a theory you know which says uh, on this planet earth anyone uh, you know even a criminal like we cannot blame that person for being criminal there are things there are there are stuff that happens and that push that that push that person whatever it is so somewhere how i look at it is there is nothing right or nothing wrong everything has got its right and its wrong so it's all about balancing and that balance might go towards right at times like uh, you know in uh, in bhagavad gita uh, lord krishna he says to arjun that you know uh, you need to fight you need to go for war and you need to you know fight with your own uh, siblings your own relatives so how i look at it is you know we always this life always look towards right towards wrong extreme right might be wrong and extreme wrong might be wrong somewhere balance is where the life thrives so that's my take excellent rohit thank you and yes actually uh, one of the conclusions i'm making today is that it's it is about balance so uh, i totally agree with that personally that you know as barbie said there there is no right or wrong there is only balance uh, and everything that we come up against are going to be some sort of a uh, a uh, what's called the uh, uh, you know the, the the complex paradoxes that we come up yeah. against it's like everything has you know a coin has got two facets everything has got its own flip side pros cons something like that yeah absolutely and it's yeah knowing the that you are in a paradox is part of the or experiencing the paradox and being okay with that i think is part of of the journey part of the experience and uh, i just want to add on you know one more thing that's coming up you know if there is too much of good we will like i will it would be very difficult for me to distinguish what's good and what's bad mm-hmm. and like if there is too much of bad i will not be able to distinguish whether what is good and what is bad so it's like light whether light is uh, absence of darkness or whether darkness is absence of light so it we, we don't know do we yeah don't know so it's, it's a bit complex yeah yeah absolutely and uh, we heard a uh, a good metaphor yesterday you know if you've been walking around with a pebble uh, rock pebble in your shoe your entire life that's bright to you right until you take that pebble out and you experience not walking with that pebble 
then you discover something else that is also right. Right. And perhaps yeah. in the beginning, that right is going to feel very uncomfortable because your foot has now gotten used to having that pebble in the shoe. But after a while, as you uh, um, assimilate or acclimatize yourself to not having that rock in your shoe anymore, then that you start to feel, oh my God, this feels so much nicer not having that hard surface under my foot. So it's, mm. and this is why I said to begin with that, you know, my right two years ago is very different from my right today. And I find on my journey in a way that the more accepting I become, the less right do I have to be. So my, my, my right action is oftentimes just being who I am. It doesn't mean that I have to jump in, into the fray of discussions and, uh, you know, taking action on certain things. And so we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that uh, further uh, down the line today. But so it's, when I look at right action, it has more to do with, you know, what boundaries do I have? What are the, uh, my perception of, of the external? What's my uh, preparedness to deal with the triggers that come up? What, what are the, like my self-perception? How do I feel about myself today? Because if I don't feel good about myself today, then I, I'm likely to be more judgmental, for example. So that will then taint my right action. Because I, at any given time, I can only do my best. And every moment I do my best is going to be my right action, right? So it's the practice of becoming the optimal version of myself that will, quote unquote, improve my right action, right? So if I, I know I've quite, or, uh, brought up as uh, examples uh, many times here, the Mahatma Gandhi and uh, uh, Nelson Mandela and Dr. Martha, Martin Luther King, right? So these are examples to me anyway of people that have come from very challenging backgrounds of uh, being discriminated against violence etc and emerge into a situation where they release all expectations of the outcome and say all i can do is to be the best version of myself and show up as a role model and that is how I'm going to enact change. And it's when they did that, well, now in uh, uh, Martin Luther King's case, perhaps uh, you know, it's difficult to say because he was murdered, but if you take Nelson Mandela and, and Mahatma Gandhi, it was when they came to that stage that they started to get critical mass and actually enact the changes they were seeking. So it was by allowing things to uh, unfold the way that, you know, everything was decided to unfold and be okay with that, but still to show up as a role model and to be the best version of themselves, 
brought about the energy that then allowed change to happen. Because the, the, violence, the violence that uh, preceded it was actually part of the resistance. So oftentimes when we take right action or what we consider to be right action in that moment could actually be resistance. And we actually prolong the experience that we are trying to take right, right action out from or into, <laughs> as it were. If we look at, uh, we go back and look at uh, Buddhism again, I'll refer back to it because there, there are some interesting things to look at. So the, the, there we have the precepts, for example, which are, uh, they're not like the, the Christian commandments. Uh, they're more recommendations than anything. So or these are things that you don't do when you are in an enlightened state. So you don't there you don't kill, you don't steal, you don't uh, misuse uh, uh, sex, you don't lie, you don't abuse intoxicants. Um, you know these are things you naturally don't do when you are in an enlightened state, right? So when we look at right action. Yes, those are things that we can look at, but I think it's more complex than that. I think it's looking at any given uh, topic in life. I think it comes down more to, you know, how, how can I be the change I desire in society? To me, that's, that's more where uh, right action comes in. So, you know, oftentimes looking at social injustices, the we look at uh, you know there are people out there for example here in the UK now the um, they're uh, what are they called the uh, oh the environment environmental movements um, there are now blocking major uh, highways uh, protesting against uh, you know poor building codes and poor installation and in the homes here in the UK. Now they are obviously, or not obviously, but from their point of view, they are doing a good, good thing because they are trying to bring the uh, attention to the topic of climate change. So to them, they are taking right, uh, right action, right? But now the person who's sitting stuck in a in a uh, queue for perhaps four, five, six, seven, eight hours and are losing a day's work is not going to necessarily consider that right action, right? So this is where the dilemma comes up. When we are taking right action from a perspective of where it's, it is imbalanced, then typically someone ends up on the other side of the imbalance as a, as a, as a consequence of that, right? My grandma always said that you are right and when other people write a start. So that's, that's something that I try to put in, in practice in my life. So I'm super, I'm super, um, aware of the importance of um, taking care of the nature 
but I will never take an action that affect other people. I think there are other ways. There, there is always a way to do things without affecting other people. I think usually when we try to make justice and we ended up affecting like the immediate neighbor, that is the, the, the lazy way to do it. Mm. It's the immediate way. We didn't do the job of, I know this might sound judgmental and very simple, but in my experience, you didn't take the job of really thinking, okay, how I really can make a change. And, and most of the time it didn't happen, no, no, nothing happens because that is not the space where you can really make a, a real change. So I love the history of people who, who made a whole forest just by, by planting seeds. Mm -hmm. I meet a person who never threw away a seed in his life. And he always planted the seed of the mangoes on the fruits and he gave it. So there are so many ways of fighting without affecting the immediate neighbors. I think that's very important. So my rights will end when your rights start. And it's very important to, to think always about the other person on the other side. So you want to repeat that, uh, Tatiana, where my right ends, your right starts? Yes. My oh. right will last until the moment when your right starts. Okay. I, I, it's, it's, it's a terrible translation. Someone can help me with the English. But <laughs> So if I'm doing something because it's the right thing for me, mm -hmm. but it, it's going to affect what is right for you, it's gonna affect your job and probably your family support, then you have to find another way. Yeah, then we're out of balance, aren't we? Yeah, thank you, I appreciate that, that's lovely. Thank you, Tatiana. Yeah, um, so what I've been operating under the idea of is that what's best for my highest self is actually best for everyone's highest self. So if I'm like making choices that are aligned with my highest self and not with my ego, it may trigger people and like their ego might not like it, but their higher self may actually want them to confront that kind of resistance. Like say in the instance of the Catholic family that wants you to baptize your kid. So they want to control you and like kind of project their preferences onto your life. But what's actually in their best interest may be to confront that. And yeah, their higher self is probably more an advocate for that. So I think it's really a question of like, what parts of us are we privileging? Yeah, and it's, that is very true that oftentimes when I advocate to just show up as the best version of yourself or you know, as a role model, I often get accused of being kind of shying away from the topic or hiding away or whatever it is. But my, my, my counter proposal is that if we all did the same thing, if we all showed up as the best version of ourselves and showed up, showed up as, uh, as role models, then we wouldn't have that conflict. So if we could all take that responsibility, then we wouldn't have the conflict and we would all be doing right action that worked for everybody else. 
because we would have a different attitude towards everybody else taking right action, right? Mm -hmm. I think it's a matter of just like trying to tune into your higher self. I kind of consider it like that intuition thing, like trying to tune that radio dial and see exactly where ego is coming into play and sometimes it's really sneaky and it's there somewhere and you can't really tell right um but it's just a process of trying to figure out where it is experimenting with what feels more right less than like more comfortable because the ego is probably more on the side of comfort and um yeah i mean not everyone is going to want to even do that but maybe that will be a part of their like karmic evolution I yeah. think if you are choosing your soul, it's always or like your higher self. That's what I call my higher self. Um, it's always ultimately going to be the right thing. But I saw something today that said, it doesn't matter which path you choose, as long as you see the light on that path. So um, yeah, I think no matter what you do, as long as you're seeing the positive in it, it will be okay. And you can like make the best of that situation. Yes, and that, that kind of brings back to the quote that uh, a quote from Mother Teresa when they asked if she would ever go to a um, anti-war demonstration, and she said that no, she would never do that. However, if there was an, a demonstration for peace, she would go to that. So it's how do we approach the challenge or the the injustice? And how do we address it? And how do, do we address it in our mindset? Right? So if you take Nelson Mandela, for example, he didn't, in the end, he wasn't doing anything against apartheid. He was doing everything for equal rights for everybody. And that's a huge difference because then you are moving yourself away from the confrontation and the, the, um, the conflict and you're moving towards something that everybody can get behind. And suddenly you have a completely different energy behind it. So, uh, you know, uh, when you said we take action from the perspective of imbalance, then someone will end up, you know, as imbalance, you know, like the cause and the effect concept. So, uh, somewhere right now, I'm able to visualize, you know, uh, right, right action. Uh, the right, uh, the writer's definition, which is appearing to me right now, is this: the cause and effect concept. And uh, very aptly, uh, you know, uh, what was brought out uh, regarding ego, comfort, intuition. It's all coming on to that. Uh, what I want to make a point around is, if I want to make a change. You know, if I if I uh, if I desire a change because I have been complaining for something, and I pray that you know someone comes and you know bring this transformation here, that thing starts from me right here, right now, you know? and uh, it's uh, very much on the lines of you know how can I change? I desire how can I be the change I desire in this society? So somewhere for me, it's all homing down to this, you know, like the cause and effect concept. What starts from me, it's ending up onto me. This circle is completing onto me only. Mm -hmm. It might be through others. It might be visible through multiple things, but cause and effect concept that karma thing, 
it's all concluding onto me the circle is completing onto me only yeah and from that perspective as well if we all take that responsibility of looking at everybody's experiences from that that perspective of the individual then i can accept that you are taking right action from your perspective and i take right action from my perspective and i don't need to be triggered by by your right action right because i i have that acceptance and i have that understanding but a lot of times when there is conflict not either neither party wants to see the other or the, there's the refusal to see the other the other side right and also uh, perhaps there is one party that can see the other side but one party that doesn't there is still going to be conflict from even though it's from one side it is one sided conflict right so i think we we are going to have a solution when we can actually all move into a state of acceptance of each other's yes. desires and each other's paths right so for example if you take take a hot topic like uh, women's rights for example it's very important that we create an equal society for everybody right and yes there are certain you know uh, so we take women for example still do not have equal pay and so forth uh, some countries are better than others but same time if we are taking the perspective that we need to work against the uh, against men then we are in that conflict situation as opposed to working towards equality for everybody uh, and from a, perhaps in this case from a women's perspective then we have a different type of energy around it in my perspective anyway so it's just looking at the mindset the 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 end result wherever whatever the timeline is might be the same but the journey there is going to be different so uh, i just want to add on one more thing to this uh like when two parties are there there is conflict and all that but once we shift from you know self to good of all somewhere the sense of responsibility and again that expansion or that uh, you know uh, enlightenment thing comes in and somewhere it directs us and it guides us to the right action mm-hmm. for example if i am engaged into like i was fighting with one of my employee that <clears throat> i am working for 10 hours and uh, you know workload is increasing on to me i will not take this responsibility so here i am thinking about me but the moment i put that person also i put myself into his shoes then i realize oh my god the poor chap doesn't have you know much of the uh, options at his sleeve and uh, it has to be done so the moment i align with that person or in fact there are 10 or 12 people or with all those person in that circle or in that atmosphere somewhere the solution comes up and it's involving good for majority of us so somewhere you know good for all or that you know that good vibration for all brings out that good thing yeah i think the um if we bring that level of compassion 
So if compassion, acceptance, and understanding, then you start looking at uh, you, you look at things from inside yourself, your own perspective, but you have an understanding. So in your case, if you say that I I only work eight hours a day and that's it. But unfortunately, if you don't do the work, someone else is going to have to work 10 hours. Yes. Right. So instead of doing that, perhaps you both work nine hours and get, yeah. get it all done. Right. So absolutely. I think one of the first steps of being able to improve <laughs> the right action, as it were, because the, it is on a scale, right? Because as we, uh, from my perspective, anyway, as I established, right action is different at different times of uh, on your path. So if you can start bringing more compassion, acceptance, forgiveness, and gratitude into your life, then that will allow you to continuously improve the right action because you will start making decisions based on those uh, those four tenets, as it were. I would like to say that after what Rohit, did I pronounce it right, Rohit says? Is, yes, it's about balance. And the other person will guide us to find balance in figuring out as long as the ego talking or we are really having like a clear approach to the situation. For example, in the case of the woman, I, I know I, I have that pain, I'm a woman. And my first reaction can be like revenge. That is a lot of what, is, what I'm seeing outside and it hurts me and is like, I'm gonna take your job. I'm gonna make more money than you. I'm gonna make you feel how I'm feeling. But then when I'm when I situated myself in the perspective of a man, I said that's not right. I don't want the other person to feel like that. So that helped me to find balance. And yes, the action cannot be like it's never violence. It's never violence. So I cannot add violence to other people. And that, 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 is, that is the guidance that tells you, so this is my ego, this is my pain, this is my, I have to fix that before I really give something outside to society. Yeah, appreciate that. That's uh, from my perspective, very true as well. And I always tell my children, two wrongs doesn't make a right. It doesn't create balance. So what, at some point, we have to look at, okay, what can I do that is going to bring balance as opposed to create imbalance the other way? Because I, I, when I look at society today, I feel a lot of times uh, the, the solutions are actually creating imbalance the other way. Whereas... So you, you're just shifting the problems and then they're going to be a counter reaction that is going to bring the imbalance back over the other side, whatever the polarity is. So what can we do to find ourselves in the, in the middle of, right, of balance, in right balance, right? Where we all kind of take right action for that is going to support humanity as a whole, right? 
And that's kind of where I look at uh, the concept of right balance or right action. Well, right actions is one of those concepts that there is no, no right or wrong. There is only action uh, that is going to be right for an, the individual at that given time. And I think the only way to be able to improve right action is to do the work on ourselves, like Tatiana was mentioning before, that you know, if you work on those aspects of yourself that is striving for uh, you know, revenge or whatever it is, that you can then allow yourself to step out of that and become part of the solution as opposed to being part of perpetuating the problem. So right action is actually what is right for you at any given time. And at that time, you can only do your best. You can always only do your best. Nothing more, nothing less. And that is going to be different from one time to another. I have um, an idea about right action that I realized. Um, so I realized that when I feel like it's a right action, it's actually more of an act of surrender than like a forcing because that's how I know when I'm doing something with my ego <clears throat> when like I'm trying to do something to like force a like super positive emotion or like to cause a negative emotion in someone else but like right action feels just like this neutral act of surrender like surrendering to something that's just this neutral truth it just like permeates everything mm -hmm. um and yeah that's when I feel like it's just you know it's just how things are and it's a lot easier to um accept in that way and just allow the energy of my higher self to kind of move me into it and it's almost like and this is kind of like uh referencing the Bhagavad Gita too it's kind of like I don't become the doer anymore because my ego is not involved like the energy of it actually moves me and moves through me and that's the act yeah, yeah. sometimes sometimes right action is to do nothing right is to remain inactive well, like there is an action, but it's like I'm surrendering to that action. Mm -hmm. So maybe the action is stopping doing something. Sometimes it's that, or sometimes it is actually doing something, but allowing yourself to do it. And yeah. that's a surrendering. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes just being as accepting of the, the world or the what's going on because you have no control over it that is part of right action and that is you showing up as the best version of yourself as a role model right so yeah there's uh, plenty of uh, aspects to consider in uh, in this but uh, i think it is a progressive process that we we would all be served to work towards um towards becoming the optimal versions of ourselves and being able to show up and as role models and be be the change that we are looking for um, and that that is then part of that process um, takes patience and takes trust that that's something we can practice too so i would like to add that it's also um, for me very important always ask how this is serving others mm -hmm. So you have to you have to serve me in a way. It's a balance again. But how this is serving others and just realize how far that can go in making me 
like it helps you to take decisions if it's worth it to act or what is the best what is the right way to act how this is serving others and how it's serving me that well again it's that balance right finding that balance between because oftentimes if we give too much of ourselves then we're not taking right action for ourselves we are taking right action from the perspective of others and we end up in that imbalance so again it is in uh, that that balanced action more than perhaps the right action so we, we can get get away from the uh, right or wrong we can say we can and we've just moved into balanced action right i think uh, anybody who uh, opposes to that <laughs> that change of uh, vocabulary um i think what happens though is that when you're walking around anywhere like on the street you're on you're literally walking around with everyone who is a completely different consciousness level than you are so you could be walking around at an eight and you're around zeros and fives and fours and twos and threes and nines and elevens and people that are in the process of enlightenment and i know that's why working with the Hawkins scale with consciousness is a really fascinating thing because it's on the zero to 1000, anything over 700 being enlightenment. And you can actually affect who you are around by your vibrational frequency of 750,000 people. So that's why we need postal carriers and we need the sanitation workers and we need all the different people in our society to be able to continue having things go. But I see things almost like as bubbles. It's like your bubble kind of comes up against someone else's bubble that's in the street and from that bubble you basically all are trying to be able to create a society so if you've got all these different bubbles that have different numerical valuations and i'm just doing that for simplifications purposes then all of us are trying to figure out how to way to do that the problem that i see is the fact that what ends up happening is that a group of collectives who have a lot of highs and lows ends up going to the mediocrity of the middle as opposed to looking for the best version and seeking for the best version that they can. So ultimately that then is part of your responsibility from the concept of right action to go find all those other people who wanna be able to express and exercise that right action with you as a collective to be able to then exponentially allow that 750,000 vibrational frequency to be able to you know, reverberate around the planet. But I also think that what ends up happening too is that there's a lot of kind of hippy dippy, you know, new age verbiage uh, vocabulary that isn't also, it doesn't even hit the mark. They're just words. If they're just words that you're speaking and they only have to do with the fact that you're using the buzzwords of the moment, you're not really changing and your consciousness isn't elevating. So that's where I think if it's always in the name of the elevation of consciousness of yourself and those that are around you, but I think we just kind of like we bounce our bubbles up to each other to try to see as what Tatiana was talking about. That's the Mayberry rules that I feel like are really important that you do not encroach upon others or the concept of laissez-faire in politics. Yeah, I mean, that goes back to the conversation we had last week about uh, collective conscious uh, or collective consciousness as well, that, you know, whatever we feed into it, we we experience. Right. And uh, Yes, you encroaching on others, but that will also be the perspective from someone else's experience. So if you have someone who's, who's, you know, as you were talking about, Barbie, vibrating lowly, low on the uh, Hawkins scale, 
they will see me uh, upholding my boundaries as encroaching on their boundaries because they will be triggering to them that I'm maintaining my boundaries and saying no. And they will see that as encroaching on their uh, individual uh, rights, right? So it, oftentimes it does come from the perspective of the individual. And that's why I feel it's important that having that level of acceptance, and I think acceptance is pretty high up on the Hawkins scale, having the acceptance of others' opinions and others' desire to solve things in the way they want to uh, solve them is, perfect, it is quite important. So for me, it's perfectly all right for anybody to disagree with me in the way I want to see change happen. And they can pursue however they want. And all I can do is show up and be the best version of myself that I can be. And, you know, whoever agrees with me will then, you know, be <laughs> on the same path as me, right? So that's why I think it, it gets very difficult with uh, those kind of um, sentiments that, you know, don't encourage on anybody else because it is really from the perspective of the person experiencing it, how they uh, see it. Wouldn't you say, Barbie? Oh, yeah, we all, I mean, we all have, that's the part, point that you always make is the fact that your choice is your superpower. But it's still, if you're going to be talking about those things, collective consciousness, if you're measuring that Hawkins scale for that particular city or that place, there are going to be averages. So therefore it could resonate at 200, but yet you have a huge pocket of people that are resonating at enlightenment or above or people that are resonating at hundred. So it's like, when you look at 200, it's just the average of all those people. But that's why us collectively and individually doing our own process and working ourselves and doing that inner work to become the best version of yourself, then your bubble continues to be as expansive as possible. But it's still the, from the perspective of it's still, it's like, we also need to be using vocabulary that we're also like we actually embody as opposed to using those as buzz buzz phrases because I will tell you right now that the chasm between 45 year olds and 10 15 year olds based on the social media stratosphere are completely every day it changes so a lot of people over over 50 are just not even trying and then when you tell somebody that this is what you have to say now and this is not okay and this is not you have people who are senior citizens they look at you and they go what are you talking about? And it's like, well, you can't say that anymore. And they're like, well, why not? It's like, you just can't. And it's like, but why not? So it's like, you know, trying to explain to someone who's over 70 that you need to have all of these different pieces. It just does not compute. And it's fine because that's their reality. But by the same token, we're all still trying to live in this uh, universe. And ultimately, if the rules keep changing every five seconds, so for a lot of people, that's different. So it's still I think for all of us, we also have to watch our words that we truly actually embody the words that we're using and not just the kind of the, the latest little kind of hip things that are out there because that also becomes very dangerous when we start sprinkling that into our vocabulary and it actually doesn't have any meaning. Oh, absolutely. I completely agree with that. You know, use your words impeccably, right? I mean, you and I have spoken many times about the 
uh, Oxford English Dictionary versus the uh, Merriam-Webster American Dictionary. And if I speak German and I go to the Langenscheid's Dictionary and I go to the Österreichische Wörterbuch, that's going to be very different than the Deutsche Wörterbuch because the Hochdeutsch and the Österreichische Deutsch, those are very different versions of German. They're still German. And luckily, those people can all communicate with each other in a common language, but it is still different that a Semmel and a Brötchen are very different. And you're not going to order a Semmel in Germany. You're going to order that in Austria. Yeah, and that is the challenge with the language, isn't it? Because mm -hmm. one thing that I consider to be a, an impeccable word in a different culture in America might be, as you say, a buzzword that is, uh, you know, means something or colloquially is, uh, is uh, not, not at all the same vibration that I intended for it, be, for it to be, right? Yes, but I think the other part, though, is that in a lot of things, vocabulary is also a, as they call a lot of times, virtue signaling. Virtue signaling is an opportunity for people to know I hang out in the stratosphere of this social media. So when I hear certain vocabulary for certain people, I know which part of the uh, quote unquote Twitter sphere that they hang out in. So that actually, in my opinion, I actually thank people for revealing themselves in that sense, because then I know exactly who they're hanging out with and I won't hang out with that. Yeah, or they may just have read that somewhere and thought it was something they could use and not actually knowing where where it comes from um so uh, the they're uh, not necessarily i don't think necessarily that is always a good measuring stick as it were but, well it's the f word with a child though it's the same thing with an f word with a child the child says the f word and everyone goes oh my god you can't say that well there's a lot of kids who are like oh this is so fun look i'm gonna say that f word and these people who are all adults are gonna freak out whereas another child who is completely you know able to be trained says "Ooh, i better not say that word i will keep that to myself because these people don't like it so those are completely different reactions but if you watch a child with uh you know curse words that is a normal reaction in the sense of where some of them take glee in that and they'll go get that negative attention and other ones will say, okay, fine. I don't need to say that anymore. Yeah. Or you have the kid that has just heard it on TV. And I mean, I've seen <laughs> quite a few videos on, on uh, social media where little kids come out with the F bomb and it's just in some, <laughs> this effing guy or something like that. And it's <laughs> just out of the blue. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's not necessarily a it doesn't contextualize where they uh, got it from it's not something that is part of their vocabulary that's what i'm saying that uh, perhaps the uh, it's not always the language someone uses they may not be aware of the language they're using that's all i'm saying as we as things spread in society we, we can become more aware of it and yeah, I have a 14 year old who's very opinionated about the language I use. So she will uh, always tell me and correct me. And I'm grateful for that. Um, and she's very happy to use the F bomb. And I correct her with that. So, <laughs> and it's, uh, you know, but again, it's, it's uh, the balance of knowing what, what is appropriate and what isn't appropriate, what's going to, be triggering for others and what's not going to be triggering for others right and knowing that am i speaking from my perspective uh impeccably and balanced well and you're also not aware of what other people's triggers are and so therefore again if you're okay. striving to be the best version of yourself 
I think the, the problem is that there are, in this day and age, there are many, many people whose actual opinions, their true opinions are no longer being expressed at all anywhere. Mm -hmm. And as a result, that's the problem of where a lot of times when those things, you know, it's like when those things go in the darkness to die, they also become malformed and they become other things. So that's why they always say that sunshine is the best disinfectant for things to bring it out into the light. And so when that isn't happening because of the fact that there's a whole new pantheon of words. And then when you ask people what those actual words mean, they can't really tell you what they mean. They just heard them because they sounded cool on social media. And that's, that's the only thing about it in the sense of where it's not the triggering people themselves. It's the fact that there's a relevance to the, the words that people use. And unfortunately in society within 60 to 90 seconds, you can size up a person based on their name, based on the way that they speak, their vocabulary and many other things, because that is, uh, uh, I mean, even in, in the UK, it's very, very distinctive as to the way different people speak in regards to the, the accents and things like that. And people have those kind of concepts. Yes. And I think as we remove our judgment of people and we become less judgmental, we become less, we, we stop assuming things about people. Then we can allow people to be the way they want to be and then everybody will start to use more compassionate language and use more, be more impeccable with their words. Um, and that will then go towards that balance where you refer to someone with compassion and without uh, any of those, you know, any of the words that would be triggering to anybody, right? So it is that striving that we all do as humanity and as individuals uh, to finding that balance. Uh, and we're not quite there yet, but, um, you know, we are working on it. So, <laughs> Well, let me tell you one, one thing that's an interesting anecdote is the fact that I, I, I'm a huge, I would say, honestly, I would call myself a an accent hunter. I love accents. I love the fact that there are regionalities and there are places in Europe where the people across the other mountain, their families for 300, 400 years have never gone over the mountain. So their vocabulary is very different because they just never blended with each other. And I think that's fascinating. But mm -hmm. if you look at the concept of the media in the United States, when you think of the South, think about an accent, somebody's from Georgia, I'm from Texas, I'm from Alabama, Mississippi, those are the kind of places many of those accents have literally been been shifted out and if you go to cnn in atlanta georgia i was looking forward to hearing people with a georgian accent when i visited atlanta in the 90s and i found nothing but people that spoke with a west coast accent and the reason why is because cnn has decided at that time with the ted turner network that the west coast newscaster voice was the norm for what they would mm -hmm. look at in regards to newscasting so everybody focuses on a west coast dialect for all of their news broadcasting in the entire united states but what has happened is that when you travel around the, the 50 states and i've been to every state around the country that you find that there are very few pockets any longer where people actually do have accents anymore because of the fact that the homogenization of the tv with the west coast with cnn that changed everything in the last 30 years so those are the kind of things I love to look at etymology of language. And that is an, an evolution in the sense of where the West Coast dialect has been the one that's become the norm. And I don't know who decided that, but it's still a very interesting thing if you look at that from a perspective of, of um, and, and a lot of people's accents have been kind of eradicated. And personally, I think that that brings beautiful flavor to different pockets of the world. 
Of course. Um, it's uh, slightly outside of the uh, uh, remit for the uh, discussion today, but you know, you get Sweden, it was only in the late 90s they started allowing people with accents to speak on TV or radio. Um, and the same with um, here in the UK, you know, all the newscasters had to speak, like have that Etonian um, dialect, right? So very much speaking with a very posh accent, right? So it's that, I agree with you, it's, it's imposing something that takes away the, uh, the, the flavor of the language. Absolutely. And it's um, so, but that was obviously right action from the perspective of homogenization of, of the nation um, from the perspective of the people in power, right? Correct. And that is why this is actually an on topic discussion, even though it seems like a strange one. The right action believes that it's a specific thing. So, for yeah. example, even if you talk to people from India, and I know that. Rohit and other people would be more experts on that. But then there's the North, the South. We had 47 different countries in 1947 that were literally brought together mm -hmm. um, as one. And so therefore, and it's the same thing with the principalities of, of Italy. The mm -hmm. dialect of Rome was the dialect that ended up winning. And so therefore, if you had a Tuscan accent and things like that, you needed to speak the Roman colloquial um, Italian to be able to get by with different people. My grandmother spoke eight or nine different languages in Latvia. So we had a lot of different people who needed linguistic abilities and now the homogenization, but then it also can go into a place where it can become a tyranny of authoritarianism where you only have certain words that are accessible to you at a certain particular time too. So that's the part about where all of this right action is a pendulum and it's finding, as you said, it's like, it's finding the balance of where you can go into the equilibrium to know that that pendulum is always going to swing to extremes to the left and to the right that if you always stay yourself in balance and you stay on track with your own individual inner guidance you'll be fine absolutely and the the if we look at the the side effects if we take this as an example the side effect for example in sweden is that the perception was that if you spoke anything else then you know the the kind of stockholm Stockholm Swedish, you were less than. So there was a uh, kind of this discrimination built into the system of anybody who spoke a different ty type of dialect. So coming from southern Sweden, we speak kind of a dialect that is very akin to Danish. Going up to Stockholm, even today, there is discrimination, you know, uh, more not so much like i couldn't get a job <laughs> but in the way that people treat you um and that hangs on from those times there were you know where, where uh, we were they weren't allowed to speak uh, you know when you were singing in school for example you had to sing with the kind of accepted uh, dialect right so it, it is that tyranny of uh stamping out the colors of a language and that then becomes um, becomes kind of a tool to discriminate against others um, but at the time that might have been seen as right action by those people that felt that we need to create a homogenous society in order to 
kind of create uh, equality and so forth, but actually that then created more imbalance. So, you know, I think we just need to become more evolved and more enlightened, as it were, to uh, know what the, the proper balance is. And uh, that is part of the discovering journey that we all go through. You know, where is the right balance? It's like if life has the opportunity to give you one of the giant jumbo crayon boxes that has every color in the rainbow that is at your total beck and call, why would you want to go back to the basic, you know, six color, primary colors, big fat crayons, and that's all you get? So to me, right action doesn't mean to delete all of the options. Right action means to be able to step into all of the actions and all the different places of where you can kind of move into in your high frequency. And then you make all the places where you go along almost more magical than they were when you got there. Yeah. And uh, that's where some people might disagree with that. But then everybody has to show up as role models in that and show why we would actually want that, right? You know, taking action for as opposed to against. So thank you for that. And thank you everybody who's uh, participated today. And uh, it's been a really good conversation. So I thank you for everybody bringing their best energy and showing up as role models and uh, sharing your opinions today. So have a great one and we'll see you next week. Take care, everybody. And I think it's pretty clear to see from the discussion that we had that there are many sides to the story of right action and what people consider right action or what is right action for any individual person. And this is exactly how it's supposed to be, of course. But something you can do is to always question your own motives, always question are you taking action for or are you taking action against? If you're interested to work on these types of uh, concepts within yourself and how they relate to you, please uh, do come and visit us at thealchemyexperience.co.uk to find out more about our coaching and mentoring services so that you may be, uh, uh, find a place that is safe and secure for you to explore these aspects within yourself. And you can uh, sign up for our 30-minute free consultation on our website. But for now, I'm going to say thank you for joining us here at the Alchemy Experience podcast and for tuning in. And uh, until next time, take care and be well. Bye.